All right, turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 19. It's been a couple weeks uh, since we were in there. Thanks to all of you who have been praying for me to uh, recovering from my surgery, and uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So let's pray. Let's dig into the Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Thank you for everybody who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. We pray for those that are watching on live stream, those that will watch this later on Vimeo or YouTube or hear this on the radio, that you minister to them as well. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So as we know, First Chronicles was written to the Jews who were coming back from captivity and coming in back into Jerusalem. And for many of them, they had never been there before because they'd been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. So Chronicles is a letter written to them so they would understand the history of Jerusalem, the history of Israel, if you will. And 1 Chronicles focuses mainly on King David, and that's what we've been looking at largely for the last several months. Now, as we come to tonight's text, we've already seen King David's heart. And King David's heart early on was really just to get the focus back on the Lord again, back on Almighty God. Because they had, remember during the time of the kings, they had wandered away. And again, that would come later. They're going to wander away yet again. But David's heart was that they would focus on the Lord and that they would bring the, you know, they're going to be bringing the ark back. But the reminder of when King David brought the ark back. And so they want the ark. He wants them to recognize he wanted to build a temple, if you remember that. Because he said, you know, how can I have a wonderful house and God's, you know, dwells in a tent? And so we see David's focus is, you know, after King Saul having them sway for a while and his son and grandson, Ishbosheth and Mephibosheth, both of whom had tried to be king for a moment, um, David wanted, let's get the focus back on God. And then God wouldn't allow him to rebuild the temple because he was a man of war, and, but he did allow him to gather all the things together for the temple to be built. It's going to be built by Solomon, and we'll see that later on in Second Chronicles. So David's reign as king now continues as he sought to honor God and again to get the focus back on the Lord. We saw in the previous chapter, if you were here a couple weeks ago, that David defeated his enemies. So David became king and he was ruling justly and righteously, but he was also dealing with the enemies and those who were worshiping the false gods. And in chapter 18, we saw him defeat the Philistines, the Moabites, the Zoabites, the Syrians, and the Edomites. We're going to see the Syrians come back. So in some cases where he won the battle, it was not completely won. There was more of a battle to take place. And in the midst of these battles, tonight we're going to see King David show kindness to a pagan king. We're going to see King David, even though this pagan king and... Uh, they were worshiping Molech, and Molech was the god where they would heat up the hands of their god and put their babies on it to sacrifice their children to this false god. And yet he's still going to show kindness. And it's an example for us that while we should never condone ungodly behavior, we should be kind to everyone. Amen? The Bible teaches that they will know us by the love we have one for another, but the world will know us because we're loving and we're kind and we're gracious. And it doesn't mean because you're kind that you can't stand up for the truth or you can't be bold. We should be bold and we should be kind all at the same time. And while David is the dominant ruler of the region, he was not a cruel tyrant. He was not like these ungodly pagan kings, and he will show kindness toward a pagan king in sympathy for the loss of his father. If you have your outline, grab it. And here's the things we're going to see tonight. I tell the message, the battle belongs to the Lord. And we're going to see five points. First of all, choosing to show kindness to your enemy. You know, the, as believers, and it's just amazing how if we will just choose to be kind to people, God will open doors for us to share our faith. I was in Walmart yesterday, and I shared my faith with four people in Walmart. And it was a God thing. I was standing there, and I was in my suit and tie. I'd come straight from work, and I was picking some stuff up, and my wife wouldn't have to. And this guy walked up and says, I haven't seen anybody wear a suit and tie in California in 15 years. 
And we just started talking about, uh, he was talking about my shoes and my tie. He's an older guy. And then before you know it, I'm talking to him about the Lord, you know, and he says, why are you so dressed up? I said, well, I have a full-time job, but I also pastor a church here in town. Here's one of my cards, by the way. Church is 10 and 7 o'clock. And we talk about the Lord. And then I'm over, in the, I'm over in the deli section, and this guy and his wife, you can, tell they're, you can tell they're so married, because they're kind of battling about which hot dogs they want. And I'm standing behind him for a minute, I'm like, so how long have you guys been married? And they go, 27 years. I said, I said, bro, happy wife, happy life. Let her get whatever hot dog she wants. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and he just, so he and I started talking. His wife left. We sat there and talked for 10 minutes. Hey, here's the, yeah, I passed her church down the street. Here's the card. Then the guy at the, guy in the checkout line, you know, and we started talking. But the bottom line is, and then someone in the parking lot. But here's an opportunity. If we would just be kind to people, and just look for opportunities and pray for divine appointments. It's amazing how God will allow us to speak into somebody's life. Amen? And God gives us those opportunities, and we need to be looking for them. Well, here we're going to see King David be kind to a king whose people worship Molech, but he's still going to show him kindness. Now, the crazy thing about it is he's not going to get the kindness back. And we should still be kind even if they don't return it to us. Amen? Secondly, not only choosing to show kindness to your enemy, you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good, and kindness is seen not just in our words, but in our actions. Number three, number two, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So as David comes, actually sends some ambassadors to go and speak to the people in the land where his father had shown David some grace, and David was showing his son some grace because of that. This man's not going to listen. He's going to take some ungodly counsel, and he's going to treat the ambassadors that David sends to bless him unkindly. And when he does that, he's basically going to be declaring war against the guy who wanted to bless him, the guy that wanted to at least show him kindness. And as believers, we need to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, because people will lie to you. People will give you ungodly counsel. People will tell you how you should live. There's a reason why we don't put the words on the screen. I want you all to have a Bible, and anything you hear from here or anybody talk about on this campus, you should always, or anybody talks to you, period, should always check it against the Word of God, because the Word of God is the final court of authority. Amen? And so we're going to see that tonight, to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, that the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. And again, offer the grace of God, he listens to the world and rejects it. And it's so sad, that's the world we're living in right now. Number three, we're going to see, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We know that Satan is a roaring lion seeking we may devour. We know that he wants to tempt us and draw us away into ungodly behavior. And the good news is, if we resist the devil Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and he will flee from us. Number four, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You know that courage is a choice. Standing up for the things of God is a choice that we make. Now, we can't do it in and of ourselves, but we can choose to allow the Lord to use us for his kingdom and for his glory. Cowardice is a choice, and so is courage. And we're going to see courage in tonight's text. May we do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And then finally, May we walk in the center of God's will. When we cease to be humble, broken, and desperate, we cease to be usable by God. And may we never be satisfied with less than God's highest. It's been said you can have a saved soul and a wasted life. And we don't ever want to just, you know, get into heaven as by fire. We don't want to live as much like the world as we can and somehow squeak into heaven. You know, the prayer should be that we want to walk in the center of God's will, that we want to have holiness for us and grace for everyone else. We want to be the godly men and women that God has called us to be that are reaching a lost and a dying world with the truth of the gospel. So let's begin by looking at the battle belongs to the Lord, choosing to show kindness, first of all, to your enemy. First Chronicles 19, verse 1. It happened after this, after David had won many mighty battles, that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son re reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So Nahash becomes, the, the king had shown favor to David. It's not recorded in scripture anywhere. 
Um, there is another Nahash, but it was 60 years earlier. I believe it's probably this Nahash is probably his dad or his grandfather. And he was the one who made his enemies. He said, either you guys pluck out your eyes or we're going to kill you all. And that was, that was that Nahash. I don't believe this is the same guy because it's 60 years later. And this guy had shown kindness to David. It could have been while David was on the run from King Saul that Nahash may have made him feel welcome in his land or may have shown him some kindness. But notice that David remembers the kindness even of a pagan king. And now that Nahash has died, he wants to show the same kindness to his son that the father showed to him. He wanted to bless the son because the father blessed him. Now, the Ammonites, let's not lose track of who these guys are. They're descendants of Lot along with the Moabites. Now, remember Lot. What's Lot known for more than anything else? What is it? Sodom and Gomorrah. And he remember, he, he chose to move towards Sodom. He was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham gave him the choice, of, and he looked at the green land, and he set his eyes on the things of the world. And before he knew it, he was moving towards Sodom. Then he was pitching his tent near Sodom. Then he was dwelling in Sodom, and then he was in a position of authority within Sodom. And he became like the world, and he got desensitized to sinful behavior. And then he was trying to make a deal with God to get God to allow Sodom and Gomorrah to survive. And then his wife turned into a pillar of salt, and then you know, his daughters got him drunk and they slept, they, he slept with his daughters and they got pregnant. And out of that, that incestual relationship came the Moabites and the Ammonites. And we know that they're both idolatrous and they were so far away from the Lord. And so here's Ammon, again, distant relatives, you know, coming through Abraham, right? I mean, distant relatives of the children of Israel, but so, so far away from the Lord. And again, we've talked about this, that, and we actually saw this in 1 Kings, Solomon got married to some Ammonites and Moab, and what he did was he built an altar, a high place where they, people could go worship Molech. And he wondered why God put him in captivity. And so what they were doing is they were sacrificing children, again, putting them on the hot, fiery arms of this iron God that would burn the children alive. And we look at this, and I want to just say this real clearly. We look at this and we say, what a horrible, horrible bunch of people. And I would say amen and amen and amen to that. No more horrible than people that believe that burning babies alive in their mother's womb is okay. It's just as evil. It's just as wicked. And I am, I am blown away by people who call themselves Christians who say they're pro-choice. It's not a choice. It's a child. And if you're pro-baby killing, you need to repent and knock it off in Jesus' name. Amen? And it's tragic. But this is what happens. They built a high place in Israel. And they were allowing the worship of these false gods in Israel. And that's who the Ammonites were. And again, it's like churches supporting abortion. So he said, I'm going to show him kindness. He's the son of Nahash because his father showed kindness to me. Hanan was not only, and not only lost his father, but now he's the king. And you got to understand in those days, being a new king was a kind of a scary thing. Because usually when you became king, it's because your father died, or a relative, of course, but usually your father. And a lot of times when you became king, there were other people who might have wanted to become king. And so they might try to assassinate you. So now you're the new king. Your dad's always been the king, more than likely, most of your life. And now you're following in his footsteps, but you're overwhelmed because you're not really sure how to do it. And then there's also the possibility that people want you dead. There's also the, the concern that all the treaties that were made with other nations may no longer be kept. That some of these people that his dad had created friendships with may now want to attack them because they see that they've got a guy in charge who doesn't really know what he's doing. How does that feel? <laughs> Amen? And the world will take advantage of you when you've got somebody who seems less than on the ball, right? So here's, here's Hanan and Hanan, and here's Hanan. He's, he's in this position, and and here's King David reaching out to him and not only going to send words of empathy, he's grieving for his father, and now he's the new king, so he's feeling the pressure of being king, 
but he's no doubt also missing his dad. No doubt there's times when he's already, man, I wish my dad was here so I could get his advice, but his dad's gone. And now King David, I'm going to show him kindness because his dad showed me kindness. And not only is he going to show him kindness in his words, He's going to show him enough kindness that he's going to send his ambassadors in person. It's going to be more than his words. It's going to be seen in his actions. It's easy to tell somebody, I care about you. It's another thing to show them that you care about them. Amen? It's easier to pay lip service than it is to actually inconvenience yourself. So David's going to send this group of ambassadors, and the ambassadors always represent the king. They're usually men that are close to the king. They're usually people who have positions of authority within the government, and he's sending them out with one goal, to go bless this new king, to be a source of encouragement, to let him know that while maybe some of the other nations around you are going to come after you, we're not going to. Even though you're, you're a pagan king, we're going to show you grace because your dad showed me grace. I'm going to be kind to you because your dad was kind to me. And so this was a, a very precarious time for this new king, really not knowing if he had any allies at all, not even knowing if the guy, you know, in his kingdom that was next in line behind him wouldn't try to kill him to take his place. It should have been something he welcomed, especially since the word was out that Israel was defeating everybody. And Israel would be a wonderful, wonderful ally to have on your side. And King David was known as the mightiest king, certainly in that, in that region, if not on the planet at that time. So this is the guy you want on your side. And so the ambassador is going to come to him. And this should be a wonderful blessing for this young man, this young king. But notice it says there at the end of verse 2, so David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father, and David's servants came to Hanan in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. Notice he says to comfort him twice in one verse, to comfort him, to comfort him. So it seems like the, pri the main goal is to let him know, look, we, we know you're grieving your father. I loved your dad too. He was a wonderful man. He showed me great kindness, and I'm going to show you the same. And you know what? There's sympathy and there's empathy. Sympathy is I feel bad for you, and empathy is I know how you feel. And so David's coming along. David knew what it was like to be a, a king, to finally become king. He knew what it was like to have other people that wanted to take his throne. He knew what it was like to have that transition from, from Saul to him. And so here he is, could be a great resource, a great source of blessing. David might have even thought in the back of his mind, I'm able to reach this man with the truth and pull him away from the idolatry. And so David sends out, again, not just words, but sends out a delegation, and David's servants came to comfort him, clearly stating David's reason and motive for sending his servants. He's not sending his servants to get over on the new king. He's not sending his servants to to spy out the land to destroy him. He's not sending the servants for any other reason other than to bring comfort to the king. And again, he said, because his father showed me kindness. And again, we don't know exactly what that was in scripture. But here's the thing. David's coming with pure motives. And it's not going to take long for this new king to listen to ungodly counsel and allow uh, the ungodly counsel to convince him that David had different motives. And because of that, it's not going to end well for the Ammonites. It's going to be really rough. It says in Proverbs 18, 13, he that answers a matter before he hears it is, it is folly and shame unto him. Be careful if you start to re uh, responding to someone by declaring war when you don't even know why they're coming. See, he's coming with pure motives. Again, if, if you wanted anybody to be your ally, it would be King David. First of all, his God is God, amen? And he is the most mighty uh, warrior king on the planet. They've been wiping out all their enemies. This is the guy you want on your side. And yet we're going to see that unfortunately, he's going to heed ungodly counsel. These servants sent would have been close to David, carried some level of stature, to be sent to represent him to another king. So when an ambassador comes, 
You should treat him the way you would treat the king when the king got there. And so let's watch what happens. Point number two, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Look at verses three through five. And it says there, and the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, do you think that David really honors your father because he had sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and overthrow and to spy out the land? So here it is. What should have been a wonderful blessing and a source of relief for this young king to know that David was going to be for him, that if anybody that he should have feared the most was King David, and instead of fearing him, he could now be aligned with him because of the kindness that his father had shown. And he's bringing comfort and empathy in the most difficult time of his life. He's gonna, he'd be a great resource to turn to. And instead, he hears these young princes, other guys who were on the same level with him until his dad died. And now they're like, do you really think he's coming here just to bless you? Maybe he's coming here to spy out the land, and he's going to come back and attack us later. By the way, if he wanted to attack him, he wouldn't have to spy out anything. He could just show up and wipe them out. Amen? If God is for us, who can be against us? They've already all learned that. But he's you know, questioning David's sincerity. And isn't that what Satan does? He always questions the word and the sincerity of the word of God. It's always the word of God. Well, does God, did God really say, as he said to Eve in the garden, did God really mean that? Did God really do that? And he's always questioning the Lord. We don't question the Lord. We submit to the Lord. Amen. So watch what he does. And if he thinks this is going to work out well, this is a horrible king, and no wonder it's not going to last long for this guy. So walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We got, you know, conniving and suspicious men whispering in his ear, telling him things. And again, these ambassadors are equivalent to the king as far as the way he represents them. It says, therefore, Hanun took David's servants, shaved them, cut their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. Now, what you need to understand, this is as big of an insult as you could do to a Jewish man. First of all, they grew their beards, and one of the reasons that they did, it was a sign of masculinity, and it was a sign that they were not slaves. The only people that shaved their beards were slaves. So if you were enslaved to another nation, you couldn't have a beard. And so their beards were a sign. This is something women couldn't do. By the way, women don't grow beards. If you have a beard, you're not a woman. And if I hear cisgender one more time, I'm going to be doing prison ministry. Can I get him into that? But the reality is that what they did is they shaved their beards in half. So what they did is they shaved half of their face and left half of their beard. And then they took their garments and cut them off right above their rear end. But it was all the way around. And some commentators said it was even to mock the fact that they'd been circumcised, which was something else that was mocked. So was there any way to shame somebody more than take away their sign of masculinity, the sign of the fact that they're not enslaved to another nation, and then expose them? These guys were modest, mature, godly men who were sent away from town in the worst way they could possibly be shamed. Now, if this king thinks anything's coming back at him other than what's coming, he's stupid. Can I get an amen to that? I was trying to think, what would that be like in our world today? What, what, could, I, what could I relate that to in everyday life? I, well, years ago, I lived in a neighborhood with my family, and we had a neighbor that was a really great guy. One of my favorite people, he was an older guy, he was older than my parents, but we always talked about the Lord, super great guy, and he ended up passing away. His wife had already passed away before him. And well, then his son moved in. And so I went down to greet him, and he was just kind of a gnarly dude. I mean, just attitude, didn't want to talk to him. Now imagine, let's take this a step further. This didn't happen. But imagine if that man had died, and I sent my wife and let's say my 10-year-old son down to bring him a card and to bring him, you know, some cookies or something or a pie or something to welcome to the, him to the neighborhood. And I'm at home, and my wife comes home, and he has ripped off all of her clothes and shaved her bald. 
and, my, and, and broke my son's nose and knocked all his teeth out. How do you think that would be received? It just makes me angry thinking about it. I would be looking for a Louisville slugger and get out the way lame, I'm coming. Can I get amen to that? Now keep in mind, because David didn't have police to call. There were no police to call. So David's going to have to be the one that brings the justice to this situation. And again, if someone did that to people that represented you, people that you loved and cared for, I, I, I equate it to bombing Pearl Harbor. As soon as you drop the bomb, you already know they're coming back at us. And then he does this in such a, a hateful way. He could have just said, look, guys, I'm not interested and sent him away. He didn't do that. He shamed him. He shamed him in a harmful way. He humiliated these men. And I want to tell you something. It doesn't say in the text, but I promise you, they had to hold them to the ground to shave their beards off because they didn't let it happen willingly. And I promise you, they had to manhandle them to cut their clothes off. And you can imagine as they walked out the city gate and were being mocked by the whole city as they were walking to another place and being ashamed in the way that they were. And, and so the word gets back to King David. We're going to see how King David filled it. Now remember, he went there to bless this guy. He went there to say, hey, look, sorry to hear about your dad. I'm coming to bring condolences. I want you to know we're not coming after you like other nations will be. I'm here for advice if you need it. Because your dad was kind, I'm going to be kind to you. Do you think that kindness is still going to be held out anymore? You think that's been all removed immediately? That's exactly what's taken place. This was a great insult, not only to the ambassadors, but David who sent them. And, and uh, again, it'd be the equivalent of slapping them, shaming them, spitting in their faces, then embarrassing them. And again, like I said, Bible says that husbands or pastors are not to be strikers, but if somebody knocked my wife out, I'd be a striker. <laughs> I'd need eight people to hold me back in Jesus' name, Amen. I'd be like, okay, here comes prison ministry because I'm going to knock you out in Jesus' name. Amen? <laughs> so here's King David. And how's King David going to respond? King David was trying to be kind and be gracious to a man who was a, a pagan idolater. And we should be kind and gracious even to people that worship false gods because we want to introduce them to the true and living God. Amen? So imagine the word gets back to King David. And King David has to respond to this. And how is King David going to respond? By the way, this brings to mind in Scripture, if you want an example, to the parable of the vine dressers, the wicked vine dressers. You guys remember that? Remember that the, there's a man who owns the vineyard and he leases it out to people to use the vineyard. But when he sends his representative there to give him his share of the crop. So they're, out, they're able to grow the crop, but when his representative came, they had to give him their share of the crop. And if you remember the story, he began to send his representatives, and first they beat one, then they killed one. So then he says, I'll send my son. Certainly they won't kill my son. So he sends his son, and they kill his son. So we know how that, the, the man who owns the vineyard is going to treat those vine dressers, and it's clearly a picture of Jesus Christ, right? Because the prophets came. And they were mocked, and prophets came, and they were killed, and then Jesus came, and he was put to death. And how is the Lord going to deal with those who did not repent again and put his son to death? He's going to deal with them. Well, that's exactly where we are in this text. When the owner of the vineyard comes, how will he deal with the vine dressers? And when David hears about what they've done to his ambassadors... How is David going to, be going to respond? When someone harms or shames servants sent by their master, it is an attack and an insult to their master. And the Lord is the one that sends us out. What did, they say? What did Jesus say to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus when he was knocked off his high horse? What did he say? Saul, Saul, what, why are you what? Why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute Christians you're persecuting Christ. So when somebody persecutes you, they're persecuting, persecuting the Lord, and let's just let the Lord take care of them. Amen? And so this is exactly what's happening with King David. Shaving their beards, their act of humiliation was an insult to David. Look at verse 5. Now look what it says here. 
when David, then, then some went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. Now, I love this because when David hears what happens, he drops everything to go out and find these men and to greet them. Again, if we have this scenario where someone harms your family member, mistreats them and sends them home, I have an idea we're all going to drop everything to deal with that issue. And the first thing we're going to want to do is comfort those who've been hurt. So that's exactly what King David does. Watch what it says, the rest of the verse there. He says there, the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. See, when the men came before David and they didn't have any clothes on the bottom half of their body and their beards had been shaved and they had been shamed, when they came before David, they were so ashamed. And I love David's heart. David says, look, guys, no doubt brought clothes with him, helped get these guys clothed and said, go wait in Jericho until your beard grows back so you won't have to be shamed in front of everybody in Jerusalem. And I love how he's covering his shame. And you know, that's what we ought to do as Christians. If somebody has done something horrendous or is shameful, we should seek to minister to them. And if there's repentance, we should seek to cover their shame, not make fun of it. Amen? We should seek to be a source of encouragement when they've put themselves in an environment. In this case, this was absolutely not their their fault at all. They were simply representing their king and their master. So David shows great compassion. He travels to meet them, and he lets their beards grow back again so there would be no further shame. So walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We saw them heed the counsel to do this to his servants. We've seen the servants being shamed. We've seen David respond to what happens to the servants. And now let's see what's going to happen next. Because now He's cared for those who've been shamed. He's cared for those who've been humiliated. And now David's going to deal with the one who he had sought to give, show sympathy and show kindness to, who basically rebelled against him and shook his fist at him and declared war against him. And that's what people do today. They're declaring war against Almighty God. Amen? The fact that we have a group of people living lives of perversion and mental illness using the the rainbow of Noah as their example is shaking their fist at God. Amen? It's not okay. But if you could pick anything to be your symbol, I know, let's use the thing when God wiped out the earth for its perversion, and let's use that to represent our perverse lifestyle. And again, we love all people and we want to see them saved, but we must not condone the behavior. Amen? It's not okay. Adultery's not okay. Lying's not okay. It's not okay. And so let's see how David's going to respond. Look at verses six through eight. Resist the devil and flee from you. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, Hanun and the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syrian Makkah, and from Zobah. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots with the king of Makkah and his people who came and encamped before Medabah, also the People of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. So if he had just been thankful for David's visit, he wouldn't have had to do any of this. If he had just been thankful and blessed to know that David was on his side, but now because of a momentary choice that he made, the consequences are coming heavy. And by the way, that's what Satan does to us. See, he will tempt us with something and make us think that that momentary choice will not be a big deal, and then the consequences are heavy. Amen? He will, he will draw you away. Oh, it's not a, that big a deal, and you know, uh, God will forgive you for it, and, and go ahead and do it. it. It's not the end of the world. You've done it before and gotten away with it before. It's okay. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Sadly, this... This king, again, didn't know the Lord, got ungodly counsel, followed it, and now because he followed it, he's having 32,000 talents, a thousand talents, excuse me, and a talent is the equivalent of a man's wages for a month. 
So they're going to take a thousand months of men's work to hire other people to come help them fight against King David because they dared to insult and humiliate the ambassador. So they were afraid that he was going to declare war on them, so they declared war on him. That's genius, isn't it? I'm afraid that Mike Tyson's going to hit me, so I'm going to go up and hit him in the mouth. That's just, that's suicide, amen? Well, that's exactly what's taking place here. They're making a choice to do something, and now the consequences are coming. We're about to find out you can hire as many people as you want. You can get as many armies as you want on your side. God is for us. Who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. And so they gather up this army together. The children of Israel, uh, again, are about to come out against them, and he's trying to mount up an army so that they can fight a battle against the one who had sought to have a peace with him. Look at verse 8. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Now remember who Joab is. He was one of David's mighty men. Remember David's mighty men. I love David's mighty men because when he met him, they were not mighty. They were, they were people whose lives were a total train wreck. They were they were discontented, they were distressed, they were indebted. And then they came and hung out with David, and they became mighty men. And isn't that the picture of all of us? We were distressed, we were indebted to our sin, and then we came and hung out with Jesus. And now we're, we can be mighty men and women of God for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? And so here's this example. And now Joab, we know, is just like his general. And this is the first time his mighty men are really referred to as an army. All right, guys, mount up. They shamed my guys. Then I hear that they've mounted up an army to fight against us. We're going to have to go out and get them. These mighty warriors, these mighty men of God didn't start out that way, but they've become mighty by following David. And none of us are mighty, again, apart from the kingdom of God, but we can become mighty as we follow and serve the Lord. No army could stand against the mighty men of David. Here's a few examples of these guys that are... that. Uh, had already taken place. In 2 Samuel, it says one of these men, Adeno, the Esnite, killed 800 men at once by himself. I want that guy in my army. How about you? Another was Joshabim, who killed 300 men at one time. Another was Benaniah, who killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day and killed a huge Egyptian warrior with his own spear. Imagine an entire army of these guys. These guys make the, the you know, Navy SEAL 6 team look like pancakes, right? So these guys are going out, and they're going to fight the enemies. And the reason that they have the power they do is that because God is for them. Amen? So these mighty, spirit-filled believers, again, and imagine that in our life. What could we do if we all walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? What could, what, how could we impact the Canal Valley and beyond? If we just made Walmart and everywhere we go our mission field? What if we just prayed for divine appointments and opportunities to share our faith with a lost and a dying world? Then it says there in verse 9, Now when David heard it, he mounted up the army. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city. And the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. So the Ammonites stationed themselves in front of the city, while the Syrians, who they've hired, surround the Israelites out in the field outside of the city. So the Syrians are on one side, the Ammonites are on another side, and the mighty men of God are surrounded by the world. And you know what? Sometimes that's how we feel, like we're surrounded by the world, that there's more people against us than for us. But again, you plus God is the majority. If God is for you, we're indestructible until God's through with us. Amen? And if they persecute you, so they're persecuting our Savior. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. And these men had already seen God show up so many times that we don't see any fear. We're going to see it in a moment. There's no fear and there's no option to surrender. And as believers in Jesus Christ, there must never be an option for us to surrender to the things of the world ever. Amen? We don't knuckle under to the world. We don't follow what the world tells us to do. Like I said, and I know it's 
you know, we're all on the same page. That's why we will always have church every week, no matter what, for the rest of the time until I go to heaven. And then after that, Joshua will keep it open too. Guys, we're going to always have church. Why? Because this is what God wants us to do. Forsake not the getting yourselves together and all the, made, all the more as the day approaches. So if monkey pox becomes a thing, we'll just have church anyway. <laughs> Amen? We're going to honor God. We're not going to walk in fear of the Lord. We're just not doing that. Just not doing that. These mighty men were surrounded. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Things look outwardly bad. You know, if you're a military man, you would think Israel's in trouble. They're outflanked on both sides. They're stuck in the middle. They're going to have enemies coming from both sides. They're going to have to be back to back facing enemies in the opposite direction. This is not what you want. This is not how you would want to go into battle. Surrounded, many would have surrendered. Not the mighty men of Israel. Look what it says in verse 10. So point number four there, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in the battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the the command of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in battle array against Ammon. So here's what he did. He took a majority of the army and put them against the Syrians. And then he took the best of his army and put them against the Ammonites. And he basically then, he, so he divides the army. He's put together a plan to go out again and fight these mercenaries, these guys that were being paid off to be. By the way, somebody who gets paid to do it is never as committed as somebody who's doing it because it's what's in his heart. Amen? Just never will happen. And so here, watch what happens. I love this. Now he says there in verse 12, then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, you help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'll help you. Do we see surrender in her anywhere? So if they're too strong for us, we'll throw down our, our spears. We'll lay down our shields. We'll give up to the enemy and let them win. He's like, no, if, if I'm being overrun, you come help me. If you're being overrun, I'll come help you. And you know what? That ought to be the body of Christ. When somebody's going through a difficult time, when someone's got great trials in their life right now, we should, be, we should be rounding up the wagons around them and helping them and loving them and ministering to them and caring for them in any way that we can. Amen? The Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. Christianity is not for the lone ranger. You know, we need to be gathering together and holding up each other's hands and encouraging one another in times of great trials and difficulty. Again, Christianity is not for the lone ranger. We shouldn't be trying to do this on our own. And so he lets them know, hey, if, if you're struggling on your side, I'll help you. If we're struggling on our side, you come help us. We're going to make a stand. We're not going to back down. We're not going to give in to the enemy. Lord, help us to have that same heart. Verse 13, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people, for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Boy, that's a Bible verse you ought to underline. Amen? Let me read that to you again. Be of good courage. Let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. What he's saying here is let's honor God. Let's be courageous. Let's be faithful. And in the end, let God's will be done. Whatever God's will is, let it be done. And in some cases, we see in the Bible where people stood for the Lord and they lost their life. And you've heard me say this a hundred times. Everybody used mightily in Scripture suffered greatly. And we shouldn't be surprised when we walk with the Lord we have times of trials and suffering. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. Not if, when. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Again, I've read the end of the book, God wins, Amen. And so when we're in those positions where we're overwhelmed by the enemy, where things can grow difficult, our heart should always be the same. Let God's will be done. Lord, do us right in your sight. Whatever that is. Me getting cancer, me losing my job, me going through difficulties, me th being thrown in jail from my faith, my 28-year-old son going to heaven, my wife going to heaven, whatever it may be that you're going through, you know what? 
Lord, let your will be done. Because guess what? Heaven's better. Amen? And we shouldn't doubt God or question God. We should trust God. The picture is that of Joab and Abishai's armies will have their backs against each other. And one gets in trouble, the other will help. And notice courage is a choice. I'm going to trust God. It says in Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And again, it's real easy to be fighting with each other. It's better if we got our backs to each other, fighting for each other and against the real enemy. Amen? The body of Christ, your Christian brothers and sisters are not your enemy. We're on the same side. Amen? We're going to spend eternity together. The other churches in the area are not our competition. We're all on the same team. Amen? And we, we should, when, when a brother's hurting, we should put our backs up against them. We should help them. We should minister to them. We should care for them. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they shall fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a three-cord strand is not easily broken. See, when you have three standing together, this is what true fellowship is supposed to be all about. We should be by each other's side. We should be stronger together. I think of when the children of Israel were fighting against the Amalekites. And if you remember that God commanded that Moses stand upon the hill and hold up his staff. And as long as he held it up, they would win the battle. And if you remember, there came a time where he grew weak. And his hands went down, and the enemy started winning. And then two of his brothers two of his, came alongside him and held up his hands all day long so that the enemy was defeated. The Amalekites are a type of the flesh. If we try to overcome the flesh in our own strength, we will fail. But when we do it with other believers holding us up, encouraging us, keeping us accountable, walking alongside of us, God will give us victory over the enemy. Amen? Here's that example. I love be of good courage. I love this. This is, a, this is such a, I wish I had Ken Graves' voice for this. You guys know Ken Graves. Be of good courage, right? Courage and strength are not matters of feeling and circumstances, matters of choice, especially when God makes his strength available to us. We can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Courage is a choice. We need more men to stand up and be courageous for the things of God. We need more women to stand up and be courageous for the word of God. Amen? And the things of God. Quit apologizing for it. Trust God to do the work and then do all you can. Joab called them to remember all they had to lose. If they lost this battle, they would lose both their people and their cities. This was a bigger battle than themselves. And the army of the mighty men had to, to remember that. May the Lord do what is good in his sight. Job wisely prepared for the battle to the best of his ability and worked hard for victory at the same time that knew it all belonged to the Lord. Guys, we need to prepare like it all depends on us and trust and know that it all depends on God. Amen? If I just get up here and I don't study and go, well, the Lord will show up, uh, not so much. Amen? If we just don't show up for work and say, well, God will provide, well, that's why he gave you hands. Get up and go to work and God will provide, amen? And so there's a, an equal, be courageous, but don't trust in your strength. The young man's pride is in his strength, the Bible says. Don't trust in your strength or your ability. Trust in Almighty God all the way through it, but know that he wants you to be courageous and to contribute and to step out in faith so he can use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Work hard for the victory, but know the outcome is in God's hands. He says, let us be strong for our people. The lesson there is to man up. Paul wrote in Corinthians, be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. We need a, a, a definition of what the Bible says men are. Amen? We know what women are and we know what men are. Amen? 
The word of God is a definition of it. And the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader of his household. Women, if you're taking that away from your husband, you need to repent and let him lead. Amen? I didn't hear one woman say amen. Amen? Amen? Okay? And if your wife has to lead because you're not leading, get off your duff and start leading. Amen? So the exhortation here is that God has called the man to be the spiritual leader in his home. God has called the man to provide for his family. God has called the man to protect his and love and serve his wife and lay down his life for her. And God has called his wife to be his helpmate, to hold up his hands and be his greatest source of encouragement. Amen? And that's what men are supposed to be. Not playing video games while your wife's at work. Amen? I'll come to your house after the guy that's knocked out my 12-year-old, amen? But the reality is it's time to man up. It's time for godly men to be godly men, amen? It's time for godly women to support their, men, their husbands in the role that God's called them to be. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trial. No suffering is wasted. No obstacle is too great. Joy is how a spiritual-filled believer faces trials and tribulation. Joy in spite of our circumstances is the mark of spiritual maturity. It's easy to be on fire for God when everything is going great, but spiritual maturity is seeing somebody that still has joy in the midst of the greatest trials of their life. Amen? That's what godly men and women should look like. And again, I, I talk mostly to the men, and the reason I do, I'm a man myself, but I also believe that men are called to lead and love and serve and lay down their wives for their family. I, but you should be willing to die for your family if necessary. Amen? We need more of that. I'm tired of redefining men and women. It's nauseating. Amen? It's ridiculous. Verse 14. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they what? They ran away. They ran. You know what Joab had to do? Show up. He showed up, and the enemy ran. You know, the big, one of the biggest problems in the church today is we have people that don't even show up. Amen. We need to show up. Be where God's called you to be. Use the gifts God's called you to use. Don't, don't make a reason and excuse not to be where God wants you to be and using the spiritual gifts God's given you. We just need you to show up. God is for us. Who can be against us? Amen? And the people of Ammon saw it. They ran away. Well, we hired all the, all the people we get to help us. They all ran away together. Got my, I got my talent. I'm good. Out of here. Everybody left. They ran away. The Bible says a friend is a friend at all time, but a brother was born for adversity. You know who you find out are the people that really love you and care about you? They're the people that run towards you when everyone's running away from you. They're the people that come alongside you and encourage you in the darkest and, and most difficult times of your life. And you know what? I'm so thankful for this body of believers. I'm so thankful for this church family because that's exactly what we are as a family. Amen? And I love all of you. I would lit and I mean this, I would die for any one of you because heaven's better. Amen? <laughs> I totally, I absolutely would. Why? Because you know what? We're all in this together. We're a family. We're the body of Christ. I, and I, I, if you're going through troubles, we want to help you. We want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to minister to you. All that Joab did was step out in faith and encourage in the strength of the Lord, and the enemy ran away. I'm not afraid of Satan one bit. I don't, I, don't, I don't address him. I don't deal with him. I just let God take care of him. Amen? We don't need to talk to Satan. He's a defeated foe. God can take care of him. They fled. It doesn't say that Joab engaged them in battle. It doesn't say that he lifted up a sword. It doesn't say he did anything. He showed up, and they ran away. When the Amorites saw the Syrians retreating, they also retreated. They could no more stand before the army of the mighty men than the Syrians could. Again, if God is for us, who could be against us? It says this in 1 Peter 5. We'll see this in a few weeks. Oh, we, we saw this a few weeks back. Excuse me. Our response, resist him when it comes to the devil. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is a verse that's been ministering to me that our suffering is for but a little while. Whatever we're going through is nothing compared to eternity. We resisted the devil. We remain steadfast. We need to know that suffering is temporary, that through it all, God will perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, settle you. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of the difficulties of this life, you're using it to make us more like you. Amen? To make us more like him. And again, show me somebody really being used mightily, and I'll show you somebody who has suffered greatly. It's just a reality most often. Final point, walk in the center of God's will. When the people of Ammon saw the Syrians, they were fleeing. They also fled before Abishai, his brother, and they entered the city. So Joab went to Jerusalem. Now, when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river and Shopak and commander of Hadezer's army went before him. So they, they were defeated without the guys lifting a sword. So they, they think that the plan is, we need more people on our side. Well, guess what? They didn't even lift up a sword and everybody ran away. So I don't think more people is the answer. I think surrendering to the God of Israel is the answer. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more money. We don't need more anything that this world has to offer. We need more Jesus. We need to surrender our lives to him and watch what he will do. So the Syrian king, again, he's already been defeated once, but now he's rebelled by helping the Ammonites. And now, again, they're going to try to mount up more people to fight against King David. And so most of the time, we don't get victory in a single battle. Most of the time, when we're going through trials of life, there's more than one battle. So there's going to be another battle take place now. See, the enemy all ran away, but the enemy doesn't always stay away. And then certainly Satan doesn't. Amen? So when we resist the devil, we grow from it. We, when we resist temptation, we grow spiritually in it. But that doesn't mean that temptation's never coming back. So we need to be ready that when God gives us victory this time, that we need to be just as courageous next time. And we need to stand in the fact that we've already had victory before and that God will give us victory again. Amen? See, it's when we go through the trials and we have victory that we can trust in the fact. This is one of the reasons why we want counsel from people that have been walking with the Lord a while, as opposed to somebody who's brand new in their faith, because someone who's walked with the Lord for a while has seen God show up again and again and again and again. And when you see that, you know he'll come again, and you can trust him. I know his word is true because I've seen him show up. We must not take a day off on our walk with the Lord. Enemy's waiting for you to take a day off. Enemy's waiting for you to be too busy to get on your knees and pray. He's waiting for you to be too busy to open up your Bible. He's waiting for you to be too busy to show up to church and be in fellowship. He wants you to be so caught up in the things of the world that you start uh, having less and less time with the Lord. And when you're taking the days off, and when you're not spending time with him, Satan is a roaring lion seeking who may devour. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will come for you, not when you're hanging out in fellowship with God's people. He'll come for you when you're out of fellowship. He'll come for you when you haven't strengthened yourself in the word. He'll come for you when you're not spending time in God's presence. He'll come for you when you're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because that's when he knows he can defeat you. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let's finish up verse 17. And when it was told to David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came upon them, and set up a battle array against them. So when David had set up the battle array against the Syrians, they fought with him. Notice that the first time David sent out his army, this time David goes with them. This time, David's leading them into the battle. The, army, the enemy is getting stronger. We need the king with us. When the enemy is going hard after us, we need to walk with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? 
So David comes with him. David goes out into battle with them. And then notice how this ends up. Then the Syrians fled before Israel. Run away. They don't even engage. Do you know that when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, when you're down on your knees, that Satan is scared to death of you? Amen? The enemies want no part of that. The demons flee. And, right, why? Because they know that the God that we worship is far greater than them. They were in heaven with him. They have seen him for who he is. Amen? And if we're hanging on to him, they want no part. Let me go find somebody who's not praying. Let me go find somebody who's not in felt. Let's go find a marriage that's not putting you at the center. Let's go after them. Now, I'm not saying there aren't spiritual attacks on all of us, because there are. But we can have victory if we're walking in the power of the Lord. Amen? So David went into battle with the army, and the enemy, notice what it says, last verse, and it says there, David killed, David killed 7,000 charioteers. That's like 7,000 tanks in the modern army. A chariot was something that gave you such a huge advantage when everybody's, most people are, are running on their feet. And they're coming out and they have the, you know, the long thing sticking out the side and they would just come take guys' legs out and they had horses in front of them. They had a position of power. They could move quickly. Uh, 7,000 of them wiped out by King David and his men. 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians and killed Shopak, the commander of the army. And when the servants of Hadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made their peace with David and became his servants. So let me think about this. Do I want to be dead? or be a servant to David. I sign up for servant. And that's exactly what happens here. See, the, they keep being defeated in battle. They're finally realizing, I'm on the wrong side. I need to be on the side of King David because God is on his side. And you know what? Many of those who became servants to David, or servants to the Lord throughout Scripture, ended up becoming true servants of the Lord. The enemy was soundly defeated. Those who would not surrender were killed. And David is used mightily by God when he is where he is supposed to be. Amen? David was the, the war. Now, what's interesting about this, let me close with this, because then it says the Syrians are not willing. So Syrians are not willing to help the people of Ammon anymore. I think not. We've hired, we've hired you twice. Both times we got there and the other army was wiping us out. We were getting wiped off the face of the earth. I'm not helping you anymore. So Ammon's in trouble. And there would have not have been any of this trouble if they had just received David's blessing when he sent his guys to say, hey, we feel bad for what you're going through. We want you to know we're for you. And, you know, we're going to be with you. And because you showed kindness, your dad showed kindness to me, we're going to show kindness to you. That would have avoided this entire mess. If you just... Surrender to the Lord. You can avoid the entire mess. Amen? And if you do things in your own strength, you're going to face the mess. Now, here's what's interesting. If you go to Samuel, 2 Samuel 10 is where this story takes place, where it was told before. When you get to 2 Samuel 11, something happens. See, David is fighting the battle, and they have a great victory. In 2 Samuel 11, because they've just won a big victory, they're fighting the Ammonites again to finish them off. And David decides to stay home. And he's out. And it says he wakes up in the afternoon. That means he's been sleeping all day. Playing video games. We should be out fighting the battle. Amen? And then David walks out on the rooftop. And what does he see but a woman bathing? What's her name? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. So if David had been in battle like he should have been, he wouldn't be committing adultery. Amen? And so as men of God, we need to be serving the Lord and, and be faithful to the calling he's placed upon our life. See, David was victorious when he was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing. You know, when we get into trouble, when we're not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing, when we're where, we're, where we should not be, doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. Amen? And that's what the enemy wants. He wants to dethrone you. He wants to defeat you. The Lord's on the throne, but he wants to take the Lord away from him. He wants you to walk away from God. He wants you to make yourself the priority above serving the Lord. 
When we wander away from God's perfect will, when we fall out of fellowship, when we stop spending time in God's word, when our prayer life is not fervent, when we cease to be humble, broken, and desperate, we leave ourselves wide open for the enemy. And King David was going to fall in that very trap right after this battle. This battle was won. It was a great victory. We must never go complacent in our walk. Amen? We must always stay humble and broken and desperate. So the battle belongs to the Lord. First, choosing to show kindness to your enemy. David did that. The rest of this chapter would have not even been there if King Hunan, Hanun had just said, thank you. I appreciate you coming and comforting me. I'm so blessed. David, I look forward to building a relationship and a friendship with you. Well, sadly, he didn't do that. You show kindness anyway, even if you don't give it back. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So the ungodly counsel came and whispered in their ear, well, your wife did what? You should go out and party, man, and show her. Your wife spent a bunch of money on the credit card? Go get drunk. You'll show her. Exactly. That's what we need to have happen, right? See, that's what the enemy does. When something's going wrong, he gives you ungodly counsel. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's a roaring lion, seeking may devour. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Remember that courage is a choice. Lord, help me to be courageous for you today. Help me to stand faithful to you today. Help me not to wimp out and not to be fearful of the world and fearful of man, but to be faithful to you. And then may we walk in the center of God's will. When we cease to be humble, broken, and desperate, we cease to be usable for the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word. I pray that we would all be exhorted not to follow the pattern of the word, world, but the pattern of your word. That we would be the men of God and the women of God that you've called us to be. That we would be husbands and wives and parents, godly workers, faithful grandparents, faithful in the ministries you've called us to, faithful and, and people that are wonderful in our neighborhood, ministering to the people around us so desperately need you. Help us, Lord, to pray for divine appointments daily and to be used for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but we pray that until you come and when you come, you will find us busy about your work. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said... Amen.